90s in June. Mm. All of you people who said it was too cold and it needed to be warmer, it's your fault. It's all your fault. Well, today we continue five words that can change your life. Now, remember, as it says in your worship folder, this isn't five words that can change your spouse's life or your parents' life. This is five words that can change your life. And uh, last week, we talked about the word no and the importance of saying no, especially in relationships. Now, this week, I read an article. It's called The Most Dangerous Word in the World. It was written by uh, Andrew Newberg, who is a neurologist, and this is part of what he writes. He says this, if I were to put you into an MRI scanner and flash the word no for less than one second, you'd see a sudden release of dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters. These chemicals immediately interrupt the normal functioning of your brain, impairing logic, reason, language, processing, and communication. And then he goes on later and he says this, in fact, just seeing a list of negative words for a few seconds will make a highly anxious or depressed person feel worse. And the more you ruminate on them, the more you can actually damage key structures that regulate your memory, feelings, and emotions. You'll disrupt your sleep, your appetite, and your ability to experience long-term happiness and satisfaction. All of that just from the exposure to the word no or, or negativity. Which is why I think we have such a difficult time using the word because it has, has such a negative effect on other people. That as I said last week, if you didn't listen to the message last week, I'd encourage you to go back because this will make a lot more sense today um, based on, on what we said last week. But we all have to learn to say no, but it is a difficult thing to do. I've had several people tell me this week how, how great it was to think about saying no to things. Obviously, from somebody who says, yes, way too much. It, it is hard, but, but we can't only live in the land of no. We have to say yes as well. Um, so today we turn to yes. Now, Andrew Newberg also talks about the unfortunate fact that yes doesn't affect our brains like no does. <laughs> In fact, he says, he says this, and let me read it. The brain barely responds to our positive words and thoughts. They're not a threat to our survival, so the brain doesn't need to respond as rapidly as it does to negative thoughts and words. To overcome this, and he calls it a neural bias for negativity, we must repetitiously and consciously generate as many positive thoughts as we can. Barbara Fredrickson, one of the founders of Positive Psychology, discovered that we need to generate at least three positive thoughts and feelings for each expression of negativity. If you express fewer than three, personal and business relationships are likely to fail. This finding correlates with Marshall Losada's research with corporate teams and somebody we all should probably know, or many of us do, Dr. John Gottman's research with marital couples. Fredrickson, Losada, and Gottman realized that if you want your business and your personal relationships to really flourish, you'll need to generate at least five positive messages to each negative message that you give. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into a bunch of psychological, you know, psychiatry, that sort of stuff, but I've experienced this, and I would bet you have too. In my marriage, I've read about it, that, that we both, we have a, a positive and a negative tank, 
You know, we have sort of, the, uh, sort of the, the credit and the debt side in our relationships, and every negative thing that we say to our spouse um, makes a withdrawal on that, uh, on that debit side, but, and, and that it takes five, three to five positive ones to balance out the negative one on the other side. And I think that's true with our children as well, and we need to recognize this. Now, when we love somebody, we love to say yes to them, don't we? I mean, as I've thought about this, I love seeing the face of my children light up when I say yes to something that they're asking for, or they want to go someplace to be able to say yes. Now, I recognize that there are times we have to say no, and there have been knockdown dragouts in my house in the past when we have said no for something that maybe our oldest daughter wanted to do when she was in the sixth grade, for instance. Um, oh man, that was hard. It was so hard because we were ruining her life and and, uh, you know, that was the perspective that she had. But it was a good no. And it needed to be no. But, oh, those times when we've been able to say yes and to see, see what, what that does to them. It, it's, it's just wonderful. Or when a friend comes to you and says, hey, I want to play golf this afternoon. And you say, yeah, I can make time for that. Let's go do it. What does that do? What a great, what a great thing to say. Could I tell you something I've never told, you, told anybody a friend might come say? Yes, yes, tell me. Um, I have a prayer request. Would you pray for me? Friends love to say yes to friends. Or when you fall in love with somebody, right? Oh my goodness, romance. Ah, I can, I can still remember that first time I said to Sarah, may I kiss you? And, and she said, yes. I will never, ever forget that day. I know right where we were. I mean, we've been married for two years. <laughs> yeah, right. But I truthfully, honestly did ask permission to, uh, to kiss my wife for the first time. When, when there's somebody who has a yes in their heart for you, it's, it's encouraging, isn't it? It's, uh, they, they love for us to grow. They love for us to soar. They, it shows that they believe in us and they see the best in us. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll confront us sometimes and we certainly need that. We need those no's. We need those, hey, you're not cutting it and you need to straighten up or you need to do this differently or whatever. But um, on the other hand, um, have you ever known anybody that it was all no? It was all negativity. I mean, it, it, it is so hard to live in the midst of that and, and to experience that day after day after day. I mean, I've known people who I think they felt like it was their job to just be critical of me all the time. And, uh, and I'm sure we all know people like this. Now, let me ask you a question. Having heard those, those two opposing things, do you think of God as having a yes in his heart for you or as having a no in his heart for you? How do you view God? Do you, a view, do you view him as uh, a yes for you, or is he instead a finger-wagging, head-shaking, tisk-tisking, disappointed-in-you God of no? Which is it? How do you see him? Paul, Paul, in response to some people that were being hypercritical to him, he, there were some changes in his schedule, and, and he'd say, he had said, yes, I'm going to be there, but then he turned around and went, and, and went some, uh, in a different direction. Um, in response to people that were being highly critical of him in that moment in time, 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20, he, he writes this. He says, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, 
For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him, in Jesus Christ, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, and here's the statement, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. How many promises has God made? Uh, I did a quick search. The Dictionary of Bible Themes counts 5,467 promises God has made, and those are just what's recorded in the Bible. 5,467. And Paul doesn't say a lot of them are yes. Paul doesn't say most of them are yes. Paul says every one of those in Jesus are yes. It doesn't matter what your life is like right now. It doesn't matter what kind of circumstances you're in. Your mother may have said no. Your father may have said no. Your kids may have said no. Your boss may have said no. The IRS man may have said no. Your dog may say no. Your cat may say no. Our dog thinks he's a cat, so he says no all the time. That college may say no. That job may say no. That company may say no. That guy, that girl. But all of God's promises that we see in the Bible... Paul says, are yes in Jesus Christ. They are yes in Jesus Christ. Will God save you? You could say that out loud. Will God forgive you? Will he cleanse you? Will God give you a new start? Will he give you a new beginning? Will he give you strength? Will he give you guidance? Will he give you wisdom? Because you don't know what to do. Will God give you the ability to forgive a person and not live with resentment? Yes. Will God be with you and me every day of our lives until the day we die? Yes. After we die, will he, res- will he resurrect us and take us to be with him for all eternity? Yes. Yes. God says yes, yes, yes. All God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And that's yes, you and I are invited to live in every day. And it's quite a staggering statement of significance of Jesus, isn't it? Our Savior, our Lord and King, the creator of the universe, who surrendered his life to death on a cross so that we might be saved. Is there a yes in that? Yes. All God's promises are yes in Jesus Christ. So how can we then, as Christ followers, be yes men and women? Now, before I get to the three points of, of today, as I was thinking about this yesterday, I had six hours on the road yesterday of nothing but thinking, and uh, there, you know, there are all kinds of things that we can say yes to, and we should. We can say yes to Jesus Christ. We can say yes to the fact that he is the Messiah. He is our Savior. We can say yes to the fact that, uh, to the historical fact that he was crucified and that he was resurrected three days later. We can say yes to sacrificing for our friends and family. We can say yes to doing relationships the way God wants us to. We can say yes to keeping ourselves sexually pure until we're married. We can say yes to, uh, to being faithful in our relationship with our husband and our wife. We can say yes to humbling ourselves before one another in a marriage or a friendship. We can say yes to loving our kids. We can say yes to sharing the good news of the gospel whenever we have an opportunity. We can say yes 
to sharing Christ with people at school, at work, in our families, in our community. We can say yes to helping and sacrificing for others. Our neighbor asks for help. We can say yes. We can say yes when God calls us into full-time ministry, whether it's as a youth pastor or a pastor or a missionary or a support staff. We can say yes when God calls. We can say yes. Now, there are times in, with our family and our friends and, and, and at work and with our spouses where the answer really needs to be no. But we're not talking about no today. We talked about that last week. Today, we're talking about yes, and there's lots of opportunities to say yes. Now, here's three ways that we can position our lives so that these yeses will happen more easily, I think. First of all, we can say yes to pressing on to improve and grow. We can say yes to pressing on to improve and grow. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, please. I'm not going to put this up on the screen because I want us to turn there. A couple of these points are are in this passage here. Philippians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, in the New Testament, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And this is what Paul says. And he just explained a bunch of stuff, and I'll tell you briefly what that is in a moment. But he says this, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, twice Paul admits that he's still in process. I'm on a journey. The, probably the greatest missionary of all time. Sorry, those of you who are sleeping, wake up. <laughs> Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this. Well, what is this? Really briefly, it's, it's true and complete perfection in, fi- in final form with no room for improvement. Um, it's godliness. It's Christ-likeness. There's a willingness in Paul to continually grow and improve, to to press on to that, to not just sit back and say, well, life's pretty good, I'm pretty comfortable, I think I know enough. Paul continues to teach us that there's no arrival on this side of heaven. We don't get there. We must always be pressing like the bar in a track and field high jump or pole vault event. It's always being raised. It's always being raised, continually raising that bar so we don't grow stagnant. Now, is there anyone here today or who's listening or watching who doesn't need to improve and grow? Raise your hand. If you don't need to improve and grow, you know that for sure. Well, let me ask it this way then, so we can get everybody involved. With a show of hands, how many think they need to improve and grow? How many of you? All right, if you're not holding your hand up, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever failed a test in your life? Have you ever um, been cut from a team or an audition or something you tried out for? Did you ever not get a job you applied for? Maybe you could raise your hand now. Um, 
Let's see. Have you ever acted inappropriately in a, impatient, impatient with a three-year-old? <laughs> Slept through a sermon. Don't raise your hand on that one, please. <laughs> Stayed awake during a sermon that you should have slept through. Oh, <laughs> Use the wrong fork. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put the fork on the wrong side of the plate while setting the table? I got spanked for that once. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't get spanked for that. I'm not sure my mom ever spanked me, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's, taken me, it's taken me 50 years to grow out of that. <laughs> no. Um, have you ever experienced moral or athletic or academic or relational or financial failure of any kind? Look, we all need to improve and grow. We all need to press on. So, as you think about this and as you think about your life, what I want you to do is pick something. An action point here for this point is pick something. Pray about it and ask God the Father to direct you. Maybe it's a character issue. Maybe it's in, in the area of forgiveness. Maybe it's within your lifestyle. Maybe um, it's a relationship or a job. Pick something and pray about it and, God, and ask God to help you press on to improve and grow in that area. Because some of us, we could look at our life and go, man, I'm just a disaster all over. I don't even know where to start. And, and our, our, my usual response to when there is this ginormous thing and things in front of me is to just not do anything. I don't even know where to start. I'm, I'm encouraging you this morning to pick one thing and start there. As we think about point number one. Now, Wayne Cordera writes about playing soccer at the University of Oregon. And around the field where they would practice soccer was a track. Got some of your attention, I know. Eugene, Oregon is, of course, the mecca of track and field, if you know anything about track and field. Um, that's where Phil Knight actually began the multi-billion dollar company, Nike. Uh, as Wayne was playing, Wayne Cordera, as he was playing soccer, he would watch guys that are practicing high jump. And he, he says one guy had the bar up to five foot eight inches and he cleared that easily. He's like, that's how tall I am. I would love to be able to... I, I see guys high jump over the top of their head and I am just absolutely amazed. I would love to be able to have springs like that. So anyway, he goes on. So this guy, when he clears 5'8", you'd think he'd be done. You'd think he'd retire. He's jumped as high as his head. And what does he do? He raises the bar. It's like he wants to limit his success. He raises the bar. I mean, it's kind of like decreasing your chances of success, right? I mean, this is what you're capable of. Why would you raise it and try and get over something that you can't, you've never done before? Well, over a period of eight months, this guy that was practicing that he was watching incrementally raised the bar, and finally the day of the Pac-12 conference track and field event arrived. Eight months of practice. And by this time, in the competition, the bar was up to six feet four inches. That's four or five inches taller than I am. All the other contestants had faulted out. They'd missed their three times and they were done. And it came down to him. And he had three chances. If he cleared it, he would win the meet. He knocked the bar off once. He knocked the bar off again. And everybody in the stadium probably is thinking, he's probably got a 50-50 chance, right? He's got one more shot. Is he going to do it? Well, his coach calls him over, 
And the coach talks to him about the arch of his back, the thrust of his head, the flick of his foot, the timing of all of that. And then he looked up. Then he looked up. He's, he's got his mark. He looks up and he stares down the bar. And it's almost like he's striking a deal with the bar. And, and, and then before he takes off, he nods as if the bar said, make my day. So he starts slowly in a semi-circular run towards the bar. The place is dead silent. He got... T- Towards the bar, his muscles compressed, and then he exploded his body into flight. His he- first his head went over, then his, his back arched in, in perfect rhythm, and the flick of his foot was impeccable, and he cleared the bar. Now, you know what the truth is about this guy? When he was jumping five foot eight, he had six four in him. When he was jumping five eight, he just needed to press on and find it. And I think that that's true in your life and in mine oftentimes. We have it. It's in here. But sometimes we too quickly give up or we get frustrated and we give in. And then we don't, we don't reach that 6-4 or whatever it is in our life because we stop pressing on. We, we don't succeed over this addiction to alcohol or some, some other sin or something because we just throw up our hands and we quit and we give up and we don't listen to Paul and we don't press on. You see, it's in you to stop. It's in you. We just have to press until we find it. I mean... Again, he never would have been able to realize 6-4 if he hadn't been willing to raise the bar all along. Wouldn't have happened. You can't go from 5-8 to 6-4 in a day. Our potential, our greatest potential is in us already. We just need to say yes and pursue it. To improve, to grow. Now, maybe you've already exceeded everyone around you. Is that it? Do you just quit? Do you just stop right there? Or do you keep pressing on? Amen, Garrett. I say let's all be willing to raise the bar, whatever that might be. What is it that God is asking you to raise the bar about? Maybe, maybe it's just an openness to the things of God. Maybe, maybe God is saying, you know what? The door's been shut pretty tight. Could you say yes to cracking that open for me? Let, let me in. Um, start opening up. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized. Or maybe you've, you got baptized but you haven't done anything to grow in that relationship. You've just sort of, uh, like a young man that I knew one time, he said, I, I went in, I was baptized, I stepped up, and when I walked down the steps of the baptismal, I didn't stop. And his life was, because of his own decisions and choices, hell for quite a few years until he finally got to the bottom and looked up and said, God, you're the, only, you're the only one that can save me. You're the only one that can save me. Maybe, maybe it's to get your finances in order or to, to pursue a dream or to spend more time with a spouse or kids. Maybe, maybe there's a young person here who needs to spend more time with their parents. It goes both ways. We all make personal decisions. I mean, let's all say yes to pressing on to improve and to grow. Now, you might be thinking, but what if I knock the bar down? What if I don't succeed? 
Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Because let me give you the second essential. It's this. Say yes to learning from setbacks. Say yes to learning from setbacks. Pressing on will always be met with successes and with failures. Always. Setbacks, difficulties in life. But it would just be a waste and silly if we just endured the setbacks to get through it and to the other side and we didn't learn anything from it. Wouldn't it? I mean, if, if, if a teacher took you through lesson after lesson after lesson to get you to learn something and, and, and then you took the test and you passed it and two weeks later the teacher asks you something about that same subject and you have absolutely not, no idea, what a waste of time. All you did was enough to get you to pass the test and then what you should have learned you didn't and it didn't end up helping you in the long run. Things in life are the same way. I mean, don't you love those stories of people when earlier in their life they faced numerous obstacles, but eventually they... Now, I'm not saying it's somebody who, who was finally able to do something that maybe they weren't born for or created to do or be. There are a few of those, I think. Rudy always comes to my mind when I think of that subject, but don't you love those stories about people who faced obstacles, but they... They knew this is what they were supposed to do, and they pressed on, and they pressed on, and they pressed on. Um, that's Jamal Charles' story. Now, some of you may, may be like Jamal Charles. I have no idea who that is. Well, he was a, a Kansas City Chiefs running back for a long time. The Broncos picked him up last year. They didn't really give him much of a chance. He's, he suffered with injuries anyway. He never wanted to talk about his childhood to people. Uh, for, for a long, long time. Now, he grew up in poverty. He was raised by his mother in Port Arthur, Texas, and he had a learning disability. Now, he was teased a lot growing up, and the way people treated him due to his disability eroded his confidence to the point that he didn't think he was worth anything. And for years, as an adult, he was worried about what people might think if he opened up and told them what he was like when he was younger. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. We should never think that. Well, in the summer of 2015, it all changed, and he gave a beautiful and an inspiring speech at the opening ceremony of the Special Olympics in L.A., in front of a crowd of more than 60,000 people. This is what he said. He said, when I was a boy, I had trouble reading. I found out I had a learning disability. People made fun of me. They said I would never go anywhere. As the crowd listened, he went on. When I was 10 years old, I had the chance to compete in the Special Olympics. That's right. The Special Olympics gave me my first chance to discover the talent I did not know I had. I learned not only could I go somewhere, but that I can fly. And 60,000 people stood up and they cheered. He was an NFL running back. Thomas Edison, just a couple of these. These always fascinate me. Thomas Edison's teachers told him that he was too stupid to learn anything. Wouldn't you like to have been one of his teachers later in life? I hope they went back and apologized to him. He was fired from his first two jobs for being non-productive. As an inventor, Edison made 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. 
But he did. He invented the light bulb. Beethoven was told by his teacher that he would be hopeless as a composer. Are you kidding me? Walt Disney was fired in his early life by a newspaper because he wasn't creative and didn't have any new ideas. The issue is not whether or not we've suffered difficulties, because we are all going to suffer difficulties. We are all going to face trouble. Jesus was very clear with the disciples about this. In John 16, 33, he says this, In this life you will have trouble. It's not you might or some of you may. It's you will. We will. When we face trouble, we can know this is normal life. So let's be willing to say yes to learning from those troubles, to learning from those setbacks that we face. Now, we've all heard this before. A setback will make us bitter or better. We have, we have that choice. Is this going to make me bitter or is this going to make me better? Will the change be for the better or for the worse? Look at Philippians 3.13. Hopefully you're still there. 3.13 at the end of that. But one thing I do, Paul says, this is Paul's plan of attack. This, Paul says, I give energy to. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The forgetting Paul is talking about doesn't mean that he fails to remember. I mean, if I would say not being able to remember things is, well, that's kind of what I do a lot. But um, seriously, some of the hard, difficult tragic events that have happened in our lives, if we literally were able to forget those to where we had no recollection of them at all, it would be senility or, or, or hypnosis or mental uh, or emotional gymnastics or some sort of brain malfunction because those, you know, people say, well, you got to forgive and forget. Yes, you do. But forgetting, again, is the same thing that Paul is talking about. It doesn't mean you don't remember it. It, it means this, Paul still had his memories and feelings about all that he went through. If we're mature, healthy people, we can't and shouldn't forget what's happened to us in the past. The forget that Paul is talking about is the fact that I'm no longer going to allow this to influence me. I'm not going to rent any more brain space to this thing. It's in the past. I've learned from it. And, and it's not going to affect me in a negative way anymore. Let's, let's take a lesson there. Let's learn from the past. And then forget the event in a sense that that's not going to shape who I am today anymore. And let's walk into a future, a richer person with more character, more depth, more insight, more stability. Now think about the times when you've grown the most in your life. Were those the times when, when you were just on easy street and coasting, coasting down the road? Unfortunately, no. I wish that's how we learned the best. But it's really not. We don't learn on the mountaintop or on cruise control or when everything is peaches and cream. It's always been the opposite for me. 
I wish it were different. Oh, there are weeks I wish it were different. But it's, it's not. The times that I grow the most are when I am in the valley of the shadow of death. It's in those times that I grow, but I have to choose I have to give in to the grace of God and the compassion that he has because he's working and shaping me. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, um, God has, says this, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. That's a promise. God has said yes to you. You need to remember that when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I really wish it were different. I wish it were on those mountaintops where we learned the most. It's on those mountaintops oftentimes, and we have to choose this too, where, where we need to be grateful and worship and thank the Lord as we look back over the valleys that we just came through. <laughs> and, and be thankful for the things that we learned. Yes, God says yes to us. We can say yes to improving and growing. We can say yes to learning from our setbacks. And finally, number three, we can say yes to serving others. Now, this is important because if we don't intentionally focus on serving others in our life, we become all about ourselves, And that is not how God and who God created us to be. In fact, that... that honestly will lead us down a road of misery if all we're worried about and all we think about and everything that we do is all about us. I mean, what God loves more than anything else is people. And, and God has placed us in this world and he has said yes to us so that we can in turn, having experienced his love, love others and say yes to them and serve them. Not primarily just for our sake, but so we can be a conduit of God's yes to others. God's love, God's power, God's goodness. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, whoever wants to be great must become a... Servant. Those are the words of Jesus. Jesus says we need to be people who give our lives in service to God and to others. We need to say yes to some things. I mean, this was one of the signatures of the early church. It's what made it so great. Paul would say things like Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. I mean, I think this is mostly what a church does. It's not about being right or being wrong. God knows our world has enough people in it who think they're right. Church is about loving God and then loving other people as a group. Serving one another in love. So, I mean, and so many of you serve in wonderful ways. I'm definitely not here to say, come on everybody, let's get going. Because there are a lot of people sitting in these chairs today that are serving. But for those who might not be, I want to just encourage you. I mean, we have people who work with kids 
in our schools, in our public schools, helping them to learn reading to their kids. We have people who are doing the same, homeschooling their kids. You know, one of the main predictors of whether a kid is going to succeed or not, one of them, is whether they were read to as a child. A number of people from our church have said, you know what, I can do that. I know you. I know some of you. You volunteer your time at school and you go and you read to kids. And maybe you go to the library and you read to kids. You're giving, you're giving time. You're serving others. Now, the community doesn't necessarily see that as a church thing or even the person sitting next to you might not see that as a church thing. It's serving. Our service isn't all about what happens in and surrounding this, this building, this, what, what we do here. When you bring a, a bag of groceries during our Thanksgiving food drive or you help fund a military Bible stick to send to a, a soldier or you buy a gift for a child at Christmas whose family has fallen on hard times, there are some of you here who care for sick. You, you listen to someone who's struggling. You give money to someone in need. You've helped teach our kids programs. You've volunteered with kids. You've said yes and you've served by painting a house or repairing a fence or, or raking some leaves or mowing a lawn. Building wheelchair ramps, that's something that we do around Project One Time. We put a wheelchair ramp in last week for someone. Or you make coffee or you greet people and help people feel welcome when they walk through our doors in the morning. You're serving. In all of these things, what, what we do, what you're saying is yes to serving others. Yes, and, and if you're not involved in any of those things, I want to encourage you, find one thing. Find one thing, one place where you could say yes. My guess is if we took a poll today and asked how many people think Project One is a good thing, if you've ever experienced Project One, you would all raise your hand and say, absolutely, yes, it's a good thing. It's coming. We need to start thinking that direction. I know it's only June, but July's a coming, and we'll get the... Uh, you need to be thinking about people that you might know who may need something done on their house or their yard or their property or, or whatever. You can read about that on our webpage, Project One. Um, I, I shared it with somebody. Um, Donovan Valentine is, uh, he and Brittany, they're getting married next month, early next month, and they've been, they're on the worship team at Mitchell Berean, and, and he's really trying to, man, he's stepping up. He's going to the elders and saying, hey, let's do Project One here. <laughs> That's exciting to me. You know, we sort of raised him. <laughs> and what is he doing? He's leaving here and he's going and what is he doing? He's serving. He's serving. A fair number of us, I think, would even admit maybe I should be more involved in this kind of thing. I mean, I feel great when I do. I feel a little guilty when I don't. Now, I'm not saying, again, this is balanced with the no from last week. If your plate is full, don't just shovel something else on. Pray through that plate. God, is there something that I'm doing that maybe I shouldn't be? Is there something you'd like, to, like me to add? Is there, would you like me to do something different? And what can I get off of this plate so that I can add that I have room in my life to add that? You know, I think one of the greatest indications that God is at work in our church is the fact that people... Um, 
that people are tender and compassionate to other people. That, that, that you don't just trudge through life and you don't notice anybody in any of their needs. You, you notice things and you stop occasionally to help and support. Now, let me give you a disclaimer and then I'm going to close. In order for you to live a healthy life of yes, you have to be connected to God. Period. And even then, sometimes it can be a struggle for us to, to keep our selfishness and what this sort of shows to people who we are at bay to where we really are serving because that's because God loves this person and I want to love them too. Philippians 3.10, again, this is Paul. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I need that in my life. I must have that in my life. John 15.5, apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We've got to stay connected. God says, apart from me, you will, you will never come to the full purpose that, that I have intended for you to have. Raise the bar all you want. If it's not me raising the bar, you're, you're expending energy that you don't need to be expending. Through, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's purposes can be realized. That six foot four in your life and in mine can be realized. But you can't do it unless you say yes to Jesus. It, it really is that simple. Saying yes to Jesus. Surrendering your life to him so that he can then fill you and begin shaping and molding you and moving you in the direction that you were created to move in. So let's start there. Just as God has said yes, yes, yes to you, say yes to him. If you've never put your faith and trust in him, what's, what's keeping you? Why? Why not today? Why not surrender to him today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace and your mercy and thank you that we receive that which we don't deserve and we don't receive that which we do. And Father, I pray that you would help us to find that balance between no and yes in our life. And I, I pray too, Father, that, that we would have those moments of wow on a daily basis where we just see what you've created and we've, we see what you've done in our life and the lives of those around us and we just worship you. And Father, I, I pray that, that next week as we look at the word sorry, that you would prepare our hearts to hear that message. And then as we close the series with thanks. Teach us. Help us to grow. Help us to be willing, Father, to, to learn those things which you're trying to teach us.
Thank you for having put friends in our life who can help us to see some of those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you, if you still have that Connect card, if you did save it, um, there's, there's two things on that Connect card. One says, this week I will seek to learn from setbacks. Be honest. If you're not willing to learn, don't, don't mark it. Don't, don't put that. But if you are, just put a mark there. And the, the next one says, I would like to say yes to helping with Church in the Park. Oh, Church in the Park. Speaking of Church in the Park, July 15th, we're, we're shuffling things again. Last year it was the eclipse. This year it's, it's something that's almost as big as the eclipse. It's the 100th anniversary of the town of Lingle. That's a long time for a town to survive, I think, especially a small town. Um, but we're going to do Church in the Park that day, and we're going to serve breakfast from 8.30 to 10, and then we're going to have Church in the Park. And we're hoping that breakfast might entice a lot of the celebratory folks who came to town for the week to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Lingle and that they would join us for church. So, um, you know, if, if you would be willing to uh, help us with that in any way, shape, or form, um, this will be on the, in the bulletins or the worship folders next week as well. I would like to say yes to helping with church in the park. We need, we need pancake flippers and, and ham warmer uppers and tent setter uppers and just all that it entails of moving things from here to the park for a day. So uh, just be, be uh, in consideration of that. And then we are going to sing a song today to end. If you would stand with me, we're going to sing this called song called You're Worthy of My Praise. That was me. Sorry. 